The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life, and I am thrilled to be here today on the one anniversary of uh, Museum Life. Uh, so thank you for all of uh, you who listen out there, listen live, listen uh, to the uh, podcast later on, and for all of you who have been encouraging me uh, throughout this year, providing uh, ideas for guests and uh, uh, talking to me after the show about uh, our con- the conversations we've had. It has been a great run, and I look forward to another great year. One of the things that is just so fabulous about this show is I get to follow my interests and my passions. And uh, as many of you know who have been listening regularly, one of my big passions right now is understanding this digital landscape that we live in. Uh, It's no secret. I've said it many times. I did not grow up digital in any way. And I've shared some of those little funny, um, uh, what we might call cute and anecdotes now about uh, my my earlier career as a research scientist and using punch cards and perhaps the very first uh, Texas Instrument computer to write my dissertation and all sorts of little silly things like that. But more importantly, as I start looking at this new digital landscape that we are in, particularly how it relates to museums, and I am trying to learn about it and understand it and, of course, help my, my clients, uh, other museums and cultural institutions, uh, wade through this interesting sea. One of the challenges I have found is that our vocabulary, as is often the case, our vocabulary can really get in the way. So over the next few weeks, I have really focused on a number of uh, what I would call the digital digital luminaries uh, in our midst, and to help us understand uh, this vocabulary a little bit better and really start allowing us to think digitally. And so with that, I am thrilled to have uh, Coven Smith on my show today. 
Coven is a new friend. Uh, that's the w- other wonderful thing about museum life is making new friends. Coven is the principal at Kinetic Museums, which provides consulting services to museums and nonprofits. Uh, prior to that, he has held several uh positions in technology at uh, various art museums, including uh, the Denver Art Museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the Indianapolis Museum of Art. Uh, Coven has also served as the co-principal investigator on the Horizons Report Museum Edition, as well as adjunct faculty in the Arts Administration Program at New York University and the Museum Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, Coven is a uh, often sought-after speaker uh, for many, many museum um, conferences, including the Museum Computer Network, Museums and the Web, uh, AAM, and uh, Museum Next. Coven also is the founder of Drinking About Museums, a social meetup group for museum professionals that now numbers more than 30 chapters worldwide. And I know we will have an opportunity to talk with Coven a little bit more about the... uh, uh, how the Drinking About Museums uh, project came about. Uh, we can make some guesses, but I'm sure that there's a, uh, a, a larger story to that. Anyway, without further ado, Coven, welcome to the show today. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I did not realize that it was the one-year anniversary of your show. This is uh, what an, a special occasion. So. Yes, virtual balloons <laughs> and confetti are going off. All the time. (laughs) Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Coven, I've only, as in my brief and uh, uh, limited introduction, I I did that on purpose because I always like to ask my guests uh, to sort of ground the conversation. If you could just take a couple of minutes to share with our with our listeners your sort of your career trajectory, and more importantly, um, how you know what are those sort of moments and experiences that have most shaped your 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 career decisions? Sure. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people doing, you know, quote unquote, I'm going to say quote unquote, probably about a hundred times during the show today, but, uh, people doing quote unquote technology and, and digital work in museums. Um, you know, I didn't really arrive at this career in a, in a direct way. I didn't come to it through a museum studies program or an art history degree. So, um, like a lot of people doing this career, you know, my, my background actually is in, in music. Um, I have a, de- a composition degree from Berklee College of Music in Boston. Um, and, you know, just over time I started doing more, more work with technology. Um, I was working for an academic uh, nonprofit uh, for a, a time when I was living in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and started doing database work. And then uh, I moved to Indianapolis, and uh, a friend of mine worked in the registrar's uh, department there and said, hey, we have an opening for a database administrator, um, if you'd be interested. And I said, well, of course, uh, it would be fun to be doing this kind of work in a place that would seem interesting and exciting, and as it turns out, it was. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up being at the Indianapolis Museum of Art for four years, um, during which time, you know, I went from being kind of the collections database administrator in the registrar's department, you know, where initially I was helping them kind of get out of a paper-based workflow. Um, when I arrived, they were still 
literally typing out exhibition checklists with with typewriters um, and and you know by the end we we had automated that workflow significantly but um, over over time while I was at the Indianapolis Museum of Art uh, what I was doing kind of grew and expanded until I was doing more work with with data all around the museum. Um, and I was at that point assuming a, a bit more of a systems architect role. Um, I, I gonna hesitate to use that term because I, I don't really have that background or, or that kind of hardcore uh, coding skill. But but effectively, that's what I was doing. Um, and then that transitioned to um, a five-year period at the Metropolitan Museum of Art where I managed the interpretive technology team first in what was then their IT department and then um I was part of the the you know inaugural year when when the um Metropolitan Museum when uh, uh Tom Campbell the new director created the uh uh I say new director even though he's been there for years now but you know it's met time so everything <laughs> takes a while but uh when he created the digital media department I was part of that initial crew that, that staffed that, that department. Um, and there um, I was responsible for a lot of the public-facing technology, so um, visitor-facing kiosks, and um, I did some of the initial work on some of the early uh, mobile, uh, mobile applications that the, that the museum created. Um, and then that transitioned later into uh, work, I became the director of technology at the Denver Art Museum, and I was there for three years. Um, and now I'm still in Denver and, and freelancing for the, the museum community and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, so thinking about uh, those kind of moments uh, along the way, um, you know, there's so many of them. Because it, I, I think there's, there's sort of the moment at which you realize that, um, that museum technology is, in, in a funny way, kind of a distinct career. <laughs> um, you know, that it's not just sort of a job you're doing, but it, it's, it's a thing with a very clear aims and goals and values and, and, and morals. And, and, you know, realizing that you know, when I go to museum technology conferences that these are the people that I'm the most excited to talk to in the world. You know, they're, they're, they have interesting ideas and we're really thinking about the, the future of museums. And, and it just seemed that when I was, would talk to other people in, in other walks of life, uh, they just seem less engaged um, in sort of the future of their their sector than than we do in museums you know we're we're and and some of that may just be the time you know we're we're at a time where i think museums need to start really figuring out how to 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 live and work and and thrive in in this new environment um and and it's sort of like i think a lot of us doing museum technology are are here at, at that time where it feels like Okay, we can actually make that those changes happen, and that's kind of wonderful. Um, but I was I was thinking back to specific moments that were important, and I think a, a big one for me, you know, one where I, you know I think I had already 
set upon museums and generally and museum technology specifically as, as a career path. I kind of just felt at home here uh, a long time ago. Um, but I remember uh, I was at the uh, 2008 uh, Tate Symposium on uh, mobile devices and handhelds in museums uh, that, that Nancy Proctor organized. And I remember, you know, listening to a lot of the different presenters talking. It was, it was an amazing conference, and I met so many people there that now I consider very close friends, but whom at the time I had, didn't know. Um, and there were so many great ideas, and, and yet I was sitting back there, and I suddenly realized, uh, it, you know, not to be too melodramatic about it, but that we're going about this all wrong, <laughs> in a sense, um, that effectively we're... Um, we're trying to, to take the things that we already do in the museum and just sort of graft a, a, a digital face on top of them, you know. And, and, and that was so true at that conference where at some point I said to Nancy, I said, you know, we're really just trying to take the audio tours that we're already doing and just figuring out how to put those and figure out how to put those onto devices. You know, we're not really taking advantage of the technology in any meaningful way. We're not really trying to do something that you could only do on these types of devices. And, and in a way, I think that moment for me crystallized a lot of things about the way that museums have approached the, the digital landscape um, and has really informed the, the way that I approach my, my work um, ever since then. I think it, it all kind of start at that moment. I should tell Nancy that. I don't know if she knows. <laughs> I don't know if she knows that. Well, so. I hope she's listening uh, because she'll be on the show in a couple of weeks. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I think, thank you for sharing that, that Coven, because I think that you are so, uh, so spot on. Uh, you know, Nick Honeysett uh, says it in a little different way. You know, we can't solve our digital problems with analog thinking. And that, you know, certainly led me on sort of a, a, a radical new way of of beginning to to think about the technology I think the challenge though for many of us is that uh, to be honest we don't understand the potential uh, of of this digital world I'm, you know I am always amazed uh, when a new technology or a new application or a new way of thinking about something comes out and I go wow that's a really brilliant idea and I would never have thought about it for a million years so you know so how do you um, how do we talk about this sort of new digital landscape well, you know, and I think that's a, a uh, you know, you've, you've really put your finger on a, a, a real problem, I think, within the museum community in terms of thinking about digital, because I think we tend to think in terms of digital technologies and not in terms of digital values. And in a way, that's because I think di- thinking about digital technology is is easier because you can say, okay, we've, you know, uh, our existing org chart is is just fine. You know the the skills that we have on staff are just fine. We just need to figure out how to put interpretive kiosks into the medieval galleries or or whatever it is. You know we need to put iPads on the railings in the uh, um, uh, in the American period rooms or you know we need to have a better website or whatever. Um, 
And I think that's a, a very sort of facile way to, to think about technology um, and to think about, uh, you know, capital D, digital. Um, whereas when you think about digital values, you know, and, and thinking about the kinds of values and methodologies that inform born digital uh, entities, like, you know, whatever it may be, you know, that may be Wikipedia or Instagram or, you know, whatever it is. Um, those kind of values um, fundamentally alter the way that you approach your work. And, and that involves a very, very significant rethinking of, you know, the way that you're structured, the kinds of skills that you expect your employees at, to have. Um, it, it changes fundamentally the way that you approach problems um, or approach projects or approach, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, this has sort of been at the, the heart of my work lately is, is trying to determine, you know, when we say digital, what do we mean? Um, and, and you uh, alluded to uh, my museum next talk, and I, th I think maybe we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but, you know, as part of that, uh, in preparing for that talk, I just went to a bunch of my colleagues and said, hey, how do you define digital? And really none of us could come up with a good definition for it. Um, and uh, which was funny because most of my colleagues all have the word digital in their titles, um, you know, and, and work for digital media departments or, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the definition that I finally found that seemed to kind of make sense for me was, was one that there's a, an agency called my society that put together a report for, um, for uh, Parliament in the UK, and you know, they said basically we define digital as accepting the 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 internet values of uh, needs focus, usability, uh, and and I'm so tired, and I'm suddenly <laughs> blanking on the third part, which is really embarrassing. Uh, needs focus. Usability and agility. Sorry, perfect. perfect. <laughs> uh, this is it's, it's still early in Denver, and I'm recovering from a cold. Um, that's and, that's great. I tell you what, I'm I'm going to uh, uh, use this opportunity to to uh, roll out our break. That will give you a couple okay. of minutes to have some warm tea and uh, well, take a very quick power nap. Uh, <laughs> We will be back in just a moment. Remember, uh, you can always reach me uh, through my website, uh, carolbossertservices.com. You can also reach me on Twitter, at uh, MuseWrite. So uh, please stay tuned. Uh, Coven is uh, going to get over his cold, and we're going to learn more about digital values and uh, thinking about museums in the digital age. So please uh, stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and we will be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bosser. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And I'm here today uh, with Coven Smith. And right before the break, uh, Coven was beginning to uh, talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the vocabulary uh, that we can use for talking about digital technologies and particularly uh, the, uh, the values of digital, uh, of digital, which I, I really think is, is interesting. You know, so many of, of our ways of doing things, our processes and our products are defined by the process or the product. You know, we, we created an exhibit or we created a program or we have a way that we decide on what exhibits we're going to do uh, or what kinds of outreach programs uh, we're going to take to the community. But this, this digital world is really defined by, uh, by these three core values uh, uh, Coven that, that you shared with us so could you um, could you help us understand a, just a little bit more about how these values then shift or should be shifting our thinking about the the, the way we work and the products we create um, sure yeah and just just to reiterate <laughs> those three values which uh, I <laughs> my uh, just getting over a cold brain kind of choked on before the break. Uh, we were talking about uh, usability, uh, needs focus, and agility. And, uh, you know, what to me is, is, is wonderful about this definition of, of digital is that, you know, you can imagine all three of these values manifesting themselves in all different walks of museum life, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, even when you think about, uh, you know, in, a, in, in an art museum, for instance, the way that we produce um, exhibitions, um, 
you know, often is, is not done in a particularly agile way. And partially that's because, it, you know, it takes years to secure the agreements for particular works of art. You know, there's transportation, there's all sorts of, all sorts of things. Um, but in a way, you know, we haven't really looked at that workflow partially because we haven't really accepted agility as a, a core value that is important for museums. Um, and so, you know, and, and that translates to, the, you know, these other two values as well, you know, usability and needs focus. I mean, uh, continuing with the, the uh, exhibitions metaphor, I mean, you can certainly think about uh, needs focus in the way that, that you know, a born digital internet-based company would think about needs focus, you know, identifying user cohorts and figure out, figuring out exactly how the product that they're making speaks to them or answers specific needs. Um, you know, I don't think in general, you know, I'm speaking generally here because there are obviously specific cases where this is true, but I think in, in general museums don't, haven't yet adopted that kind of mindset. We we still very much have, and certainly at least in art museums, I think science museums maybe are a little better about this, but art museums particularly, you know, we have still have a certain, this is, you know, we're, we're putting stuff out there for you and it is good for you. Um, as opposed to this is answering or addressing a very specific need. And, and I think... Um, you know, certainly education departments in, in, in art museums are, are making significant strides towards addressing this. Um, but again, as with agility, I think even though you see it in isolated pockets of, of museums, I don't think we've really accepted that as a core value yet. Um, and, you know, once we start doing this, once we start accepting these digital values, as opposed to saying, well, we're doing digital technology. We have a digital media department. We hired a chief digital officer. We've checked off that box. We, we're, now, we're now good with digital. You know, accepting these digital values is significantly different because that says all across the museum, you know, in every single staff member adopts these values and this way of thinking and this way of approaching the problem that enables the museum to... to work uh, faster and pivot more quickly when necessary um, and waste fewer resources, which is, uh, you know, a significant problem for us now, um, you know, in that, uh, you know, as we know, the resource pool is, is shrinking significantly. Um, but what's expected out of museums is, is expanding. You know, what, what the community expects museums to do is 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 growing um, at a time where we have fewer and fewer resources to address those sorts of problems. You know, Coven, as as you're talking, it it uh, I mean, you've you've touched on on some very important themes that uh, that resonate for me and uh, for many museum professionals. And I'm also here to say, unfortunately, that many of the science and natural history and history organizations that I work with have the same challenges that you describe in the art museum world. So I don't think that we are, you know, there, there isn't a panacea out there. Uh, <laughs> I think I think it uh, it in in some ways it is it comes down to an arrogance 
that is so pernicious in our vocabulary. And I have, I've been spending uh, a lot of time this summer in, in some very challenging self-reflection about how the, the vocabulary that I use, even in developing workshops or talking about audiences and sort of purging out those, those statements or those ways of, of describing, you know, you can call it user, visitor, or guest, but if you're thinking about them as someone who is who lacks something, you know, they lack information or they lack mm. your brilliance, and that if only they would accept your brilliance, the museum's brilliance, uh, then their lives, <laughs> you know, then, then why don't they understand? Their lives would be so much better and they would have, you know, happier <laughs> children. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, we, and we do that. We, we inadvertently set up an us versus them. Uh, and until I think we get out of that uh, that that um, that mindset, and that's that is very tough to do. And I think one of the exciting things for me in looking at these digital values, as as you've described them, is it gives us a way out. You know, there are always going to be challenges. As I told a client uh, just last week, you know, because you consultants they pay us to say the very worst uh there will there will never be enough time there will never be enough money there will never be enough resources and there will never be enough praise therefore welcome to your world what are you going to do about it (laughs) right well you know i think this is something that um you know i I said this several years ago uh guess in the, the first talk I gave it at Museum Next, um, which is the problem is that in, in museums, I think we tend to create uh, plans to execute rather than plans to learn. Um, you know, and, and certainly in, in, in my area, I see this very specifically when you think about the way that we approach website development. You know, is a great example. Um, in that we we go into it um, pretty much with an idea of exactly what we want that website to do. You know, we say, oh well, it has to have a donate button on the homepage, and it has to have an online collection, and it has to have a blog, and it has to have all these things. Um, without ever really asking a very basic question of is any of this stuff what our community needs? You know, does, does our community need us to do any of these things? Um, and, and, and that's partially because when we build these websites, we're planning to build these websites. We're not planning to learn from the process of building them and in so doing understand what it needs to be. Um, and, and this is, you know, a way of thinking that's adapted somewhat from the, the lean startup methodology um, from Eric Reese's uh, book, The Lean Startup, where, you know, the idea is that you create what he calls a, a minimum viable product. You say, what's the absolute minimum that you need to put out there in order for you to start learning about what you need to do next? And we don't really do that very well in museums because we, we really like to have finished products out there. Um, you know, we like to have exhibitions 
out there that are ready to go. We like to have publications that are all tied off and signed off and, and you know, and, you know, even blog posts. It's a rare museum that doesn't have, you know, a very formalized uh, editing workflow that, that blog posts go to before they ever see the light of day, you know, such that it's very rare that you get even just sort of a, a raw voice where you say, I'm responding to this thing that's happening in the moment. Um, you don't get that very often, and that's partially because we like to have finished products out there. And, and in a way, this sort of planning to learn uh, approach is, is very difficult for us uh, because it's, it's a mindset that is somewhat alien to almost every, every single person currently employed in, in museums. You know, even technology people, I think we still like to have something that looks good, that we can be really proud of when we produce it. You know, the idea of, of you know, for instance, putting a website out there where you say, you know what, we're going to start where our website is just directions to the museum and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then we'll add on features as we start to understand from user feedback what it is that we're, that people need us to do. Um, because those things that, that people need us to do might not be the things that we would think of. And, and this gets back to what you're, you were saying, Carol, that, you know, I think for, for us, we still do have a, uh, you know, a sort of, we have such great stuff, how do we put it into the minds of the people out there? You know, they need what we have, how do we give them what we have? Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, I think that's valuable. Like, in, in a way, yes, there's an arrogance to it, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing in and of itself. I think there is a certain amount of museums do need to sort of say, Hey, you know, here here are things that we know that most people do not know, and we want to to show you those things. But I think we do have to start thinking better about what are the modalities in which we can present those things where the public may be most receptive to them. Um, <clears throat> can you uh, can you give an a, an example? I, you know, you were talking about the uh, the the website where we could you, we could learn from it. I think you know one of the challenges that 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 I'm facing um, is 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 understanding how we can take something that, in my way of thinking, is a bit impersonal. You know, like a website. It's it's you know it's it it can be very static. And make that an opportunity for for true learning, engagement, and discussion. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I would actually push back a little bit on the idea of a website being impersonal. You know, in the in the sense that I, I think museum websites tend to be impersonal, partially because I think we don't embrace individual voices particularly well. You know, um, with some exceptions, but. Uh, you know, for the most part, I think we we still have this sort of authoritative museum voice that that informs everything on our website. Versus something like, even when you think about uh, uh, Wikipedia, um, where you know you have a site that, to a certain extent, is somewhat impersonal, and yet you look at the talk pages 
where you see users kind of battling back and forth saying, oh, well, n- no, we should edit it this way or we should remove this little piece of content or, you know, this is really not appropriate to be here. Like, you have all sorts of really, really personal and vital voices that are, like, just right behind this somewhat, uh, you know, the sort of digital edifice. And, you know, I think we... In museums, it's it's been long overdue for us to em- embrace that approach, you know, and and I think we we still have a sort of you know front of house back of house mentality that informs that as well, um, you know that our blogs are about quote unquote behind the scenes as opposed to saying well, you know what, all of our work is really in front of the public, regardless of what it is. You know, there really is no such thing as behind the scenes anymore. Like, just the whole spectrum of museum work is is for the public to, to engage with and to see. Um, I think that's a very interesting insight, and I hadn't... Uh, I, I, I hadn't thought about. I, clearly, I hadn't thought about it, and that. Uh, and I think the Wikipedia is a perfect example. Uh, I mean, we all, uh, even those those of us who like to consider ourselves academic researchers, we will go to Wikipedia uh, to uh, <laughs> you know to to get us started. If it's a if it's a subject I don't know very much about, I'll you know certainly I think it's a it's a great research, resource to begin to to uh, you know put some legs on. On a subject, but uh, there is the battling behind the scenes, as you say, uh, of people who are really interested in a certain topic, and and that is becoming more prevalent even on the front of the of the of the Wikipedia page to say to alert you, you know, that this is in contest or this is this is an, an area right. where there isn't a you know there 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 is not. Uh, cons- um, consensus and and that is nothing and that and it's all out there for everybody to see uh, and that is something that we don't do um, in museums very often and most of us sort of recoil at that that idea that someone would actually see how you know we've made the exhibit or we haven't made it or we've we've had conflicts about it and that might be an area where we do want to uh to do more yeah i i agree i mean i think you know when you think even at a basic level the way that we capture data about uh, objects in museums reflects this at a very atomic level. You know, the fact that in most collections management systems, for instance, um, it's very difficult to capture previous iterations of data. So, for instance, if, let's say, a, you know, the, the um, attribution of a work of art is contested, you know, or, or at least has changed over the course of you know, a hundred years of scholarship and study, we have no real way of, in most collections management systems, of presenting that. There's like one field where you put in the maker's name (laughs) um, and you can't say, oh, you know, we originally had attributed it from 1910 to 1940, we did attribute it to this maker, and then from 1940 to 1950, it was this maker, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so we don't, we don't have good ways of capturing that information already. Again, you know, I'm speaking in a very general sense. There's exceptions to this. Um, but then on top of that, we don't 
present that to the public very well. You know, if, if the attribution for a work of art changes in most of our collect- online collections, what that means is just that name suddenly changes on that record one day. And as far as you know, as a person, you know, from the public coming to that, that site... You say, oh, I guess the, the, the maker of this work of art has always been this person. And you don't see, it's like, oh, actually the, the attribution based on our scholarship has changed 10 times in the last 40 years. Um, you know, so even just at a very basic level, we're, we're not good at presenting that. <laughs> and um, I, I think even just those small steps would go a long way towards getting us more comfortable with, with that sort of thing. I think that's that's very very interesting, and will uh, I think give many of us some some thought uh, to to proceed. It's almost as if we are denying the full story of the object uh, in just how we are uh, we are recounting that record, um, and perhaps that is one area where the where the analog world was uh, was was a little more human for us because you would know that that attribution changed because it would have been a typed record that someone very neatly crossed out in pen and wrote the new attribution. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, we are going to take our second short break, and when we come back, uh, more with Coven Smith, and we're also going to learn a little bit more about the Drinking About Museums project. So stay tuned. Um, we will be right back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. Um, we have been talking with uh, Coven Smith. I wanted to uh, let all my listeners know, and of course, you can look at uh, you look at this on the website too. But if you want to reach Coven uh, to talk with him further, you can always reach him at Coven at kineticmuseums.com. And I believe your Twitter is at Five Easy Pieces. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah, okay. with uh, the the numeral five. Yes. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, Coven, this has been absolutely a, a, a fabulous conversation. I think um, in re-listening to this, as I as I know I will, and and um, uh, I hope several other others of our listeners will as well. There's an awful lot to unpack here uh, about um, taking those digital values and applying them across the board, and not just leaving them in the digital department, as you said. But we. We just really have about 10 minutes to uh, um, uh, for for the end of the show so I wanted to jump a little bit if you don't mind and let's talk sure. a bit about uh, the drinking about museums movement and how it got started <laughs> and 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 you know why you did it and what what is it <laughs> uh, the drinking about museums the you know the sarcastic movement that that changed a generation um, uh, Drinking about museums, it's it's a little, it it feels weird to say that I started it, though I I suppose technically that's that's true. Though much much of the uh, the the credit for its expansion really should go to uh, Ed Rodley in Boston, who was the first person to 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 call uh, Kate Tenworth. Uh, of Expose Your Museum, who's a, a museum evaluator. She and I started drinking about museums in Denver, and, and Ed had, was the first person to call and say, that's such a great name. I want to use that for my own meetup here. <laughs> and um, so he started uh, the Drinking About Museums meetup in Boston, and they publicized their events really well, and then suddenly just they started popping up everywhere. All these people were like, oh, we, we have, we're starting a Drinking About Museums too. And suddenly it was a thing. So, I, you know, it was a very simple idea when we started it here in Denver, which is, you know, Kate Tenworth and I um, – used to occasionally meet, she was at that time at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, and I was at the Denver Art Museum, and we used to just occasionally meet for lunch and just kind of rap about a lot of the same stuff that, that you and I have been talking about during this, uh, uh, during this show. And at some point, I just said, you know, this is really great. We should just have more people involved when, when we have these conversations. And Kate said, yeah, we should. So we... We put a meetup together, and, and at the last minute, uh, while watching Doctor Who <laughs> one night, um, I I just was like, "Oh, here's the name. It's going to be drinking about museums," <laughs> and uh, f- just people really kind of latched onto the the name for for whatever reason, um, and so now they're they're everywhere. Um, 
I mean, obviously there, there's Ed's Meetup in, in Boston, but Neil Stimler runs a regular one in, in uh, New York City. Um, there's one in L.A. There have been several in Chicago. There's um, uh, uh, meetups in Moscow now that Anna Mikhailova runs. Um, there have been several in uh, uh, Brazil, um, in Rio and Sao Paulo. It's just kind of amazing. It's this, just this thing. And, and, you know, as it turns out, it's just, I, I think it, 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 sort of recognized a thing that we all knew, which is that people who work in museums love talking about museums. We, we kind of can't get enough of it. And, and it, it, gave, it gave us sort of a, a silly excuse and a reason to do that all year long as opposed to having to wait for, you know, the one conference a year that you get to go to where you get to talk to your colleagues. Now it's like we, we we're having those conversations all, all year long. And, and also it's a, it's a good way when you know, people are traveling or, or visiting other places to, to meet new museum people. You know, now whenever I'm traveling to a new place, I'll often just say, hey, I'm going to be in such and such for a couple of days. Does anybody want to do a drinking about museums while I'm there? And, you know, and sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But when it does, it's great because I'll always meet all sorts of new museum people that I never have before and and start to better understand what everyone's facing because I mean the the thing that's sort of wonderful about drinking about museums is it is very local and and every every meetup has a sort of different different reason for existing you know the the New York meetup is a very different character from the you know from the Anchorage Alaska meetup you know they have very different needs that they need to address or things that they need to talk about there and so yeah it's it's been sort of a a wonderful thing it's been great to see it kind of expand and keep going. What I find uh, so very interesting about it is that it really does illustrate those digital values that you really, that you just talked about. Uh, and and uh, it came about in a very organic way. And it is addressing a, a critical need uh, for, uh, that museum professionals have about just talking to each other and sharing ideas. Uh, we, that's why we have you know, regional, state, national meetings. But so many people cannot attend those yeah. uh, because, you know, professional development is the very first thing we cut. Uh, when you know yeah. we 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 uh, we hurt ourselves uh, before we hurt anybody else, which is noble on the one hand, uh, but you know if you're not sort of supporting the seed corn uh, in a little bit better way, then you know then you have burned out staff and you don't get anything. Uh, you know then you can't save anyone. Um, so I, I I really I'm I am I'm fascinated with them. Um, I just. I'm, and here's my assumption that that these projects are all, or these programs, these meetups are also attracting uh, more uh, people who are digi- digitally savvy, perhaps because of either their interests or their age. Um, I'm not thinking that you got too many people over fifty going to drinking about museums. <laughs> Well, you know, again, I think that depends on on the area. I mean, you know, certainly when I look at photos of the meetups in Moscow, you know, there are definitely people over fifty attending attending those meetups. Um, you know, it's. I think it's. It was tempting 
in the early days of Drinking by Museums, when it first started, to sort of think of it as a tech movement, partially just because it tended to be those people who started them up, um, you know, and, and, you know, like Ed Rodley's meetup in, in Boston, originally I think it was called like the, the Boston Museum Tech Meetup or something like that. So it definitely had a, a sort of tech slash digital foundation. But I think over time that that has, has changed. Um, I mean, I know certainly at our Denver meetups, um, tech people were definitely in the minority. I mean, often I might be the only tech person there, <laughs> um, you know, and I was surrounded by, uh, you know, curators and conservators and directors and, and, and all sorts of things. Um, and, and in a way, that's one of the, the beautiful things about the meetup is, is that it's not, um, it's, it's not sort of domain centric, you know, in that, uh, you know, when you, talk about professional development. I mean, a lot of the professional development opportunities available to us in museums tend to be very domain-specific. You know, it's like, I'm going to the museum tech conference, or I'm going to the conservators conference, or I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I'm going to the conference for museum directors, or art museum directors, even more specific. Um, whereas drinking about museums is kind of just sort of everybody that wants to show up is there. So, you know, in Denver, we would have, you know, uh, Nathan Ritchie, who's the director of, of, uh, Golden History Museums would be there. But then we would also have, uh, students who were in museum studies program who are just starting their careers, you know, all in the same place kind of talking about things. And, and that is one of the things that I think is, is really wonderful about it. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I love that aspect of it. Well, I, I, I can't think, as you say, I really can't think of another uh, organization that is sort of cross-pollinating in that way. And we need to try to do more of that, uh, as much of that as, as we can. So I will certainly encourage uh, my colleagues and my little bits of cohorts uh, to uh, try to be, uh, you know, start one, attend one. Yes. Um, how, how do you find out about these things? Um, well, right now, you know, in thinking of the, the sort of lean startup approach, um, right now it's mostly done over Twitter. Uh, if you just follow the hashtag drinking about museums, um, that's usually how you'll, you'll see, you know, meetups. Um, I am actually just getting ready to finally launch. <laughs> it's, it's been a long time in coming. Finally getting ready to launch uh, drinkingaboutmuseums.com. Um, which will be a place where all the local chapters can organize and 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 publicize their their meetups. Um, so soon, um, within a couple of weeks, that should be ready to go, and and that'll be the place to go. Um, until then, um, just follow Drinking About Museums uh, on Twitter. Um, there's also a, a Twitter account called Drinking Museums at Drinking Museums um, that I manage. So if you have questions, you can always just send questions to that, and, and I'm, I'm the one that answers those. Well, that's, thank you. Thank you. That's, that's good information. Uh, and I, I want to thank you again, Coven, for uh, sticking with us, even though, you know, you, you've got a cold and you're a little under the weather and it's really early in Denver. But uh, I, I appreciate so much. You have shared so many good insights uh, with us. And I think that this, you know, digital revolution that we, we are in, um, you know, not to sound too dramatic, but it really, 
really is uh, giving us that in our area of cultural uh, institutions, it's giving us, I think, ways out of you know some mm. of the dilemmas that we've been facing, and it is giving us a better vocabulary uh, to be talking about these things. So, again, thank you so much for your uh, for your insights and your thoughts. Again, you can reach Coven at uh, uh, Kinetic Museums, and I know he'll be able to uh, help you sort out your issues as well. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, with continuing this uh, this theme about users and uh, uh, user-focused um, uh, approaches to things. And so until then, this is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. Uh, uh, hope to see, hear you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. 